from the Sandbox. I'm your host, Jason Schwartz, and welcome to this holiday edition of the podcast. Today will be our first ever segment of Serling's Sandbox Remakes. That's right. We're going to take an original Twilight Zone episode and compare it to a remake. In today's episode, we're going to compare the original 1960 Twilight Zone episode, Night of the Meek, with its 1985 counterpart, Night of the Meek. I also invited my 14-year-old daughter, Kate, in on the discussion. Kate and I started a podcast during COVID for something to do, and it has changed multiple times, and we aren't very consistent, but it's fun. And it's taught me my very first lessons about podcasting, which have brought me to making this podcast. Uh, It's called Our Podcast Show, and we talk about everything from My Little Pony to 80s and 90s films that Kate has viewed for the first time, Uh, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, just to name a few things. But before we hear from Kate, I'd like to talk about the two versions of Night of the Meek. Night of the Meek, Twilight Zone Season 2. Episode 11, starring Art Carney and John Fielder, written by Rod Serling, first aired December 23rd, 1960. This is one of the six season two episodes that were videotaped, so it has that live television feel to it. The reason for this experiment was to save money, which turned out to be very little, especially when taken into account the quality. Although the videotape episodes that are on the scary side at least gain an extra creepiness uh, to the episode, like Long Distance Call and 22, but it doesn't do much for any of the more dramatic ones. The episode is about a broken, rundown man, a department store Santa named Henry Corwin. He takes to drinking because he says, I can either drink or I can weep. And drinking is so much more subtle. He's frustrated by the lack of Christmas spirit, and his heart is broken for the people who are struggling and for the children who aren't going to get anything for Christmas. After being fired for drinking on the job, he encountered a bag in an alley that was holding trash one minute, and the next was filled with presents. Still dressed in his Santa outfit, he goes around, handing out presents, and whatever people ask for, the bag produces. He is arrested on suspicion that he stole the items, but is soon revealed to all parties the bag indeed is magic. He continues to hand out gifts until Christmas is over and the bag is empty. Having received no gift for himself, Corwin believes his gift was being the biggest gift giver of all. And if he could have one wish, it would be that he would be able to do it every year. In the alley, he finds a sleigh with reindeer and an elf that's waiting for him because he's the new Santa. And he rides off into the night sky, presumably to the North Pole. There's this wonderful shot right in the beginning of the episode where Corman is sitting at a bar asking the bartender, why isn't there a real Santa Claus. 
The shot is a close-up of Corwin, and he's looking right at the camera. It feels like he's looking through the fourth wall and through the screen and directly asking the audience, why isn't there a real Santa Claus? We soon get one of the better Serling intros as far as being in the shot is concerned. The camera pans up from Corwin crying with two neighborhood children who are asking Santa for gifts and for a job for their dad and food for the table. And Serling ushers us into the Christmas season. With this. This is Mr. Henry Corwin, normally unemployed, who once a year takes the lead role in the uniquely popular American institution, that of the department store Santa Claus, in a road company version of the night before Christmas. But in just a moment, Mr. Henry Corwin, Ursat Santa Claus, will enter a strange kind of North Pole, which is one part the wondrous spirit of Christmas and one part the magic that can only be found in the Twilight Zone. Though missing a narrator and that beautiful narration, which is very sad, the 1985 version starts very much the same way. Night of the Meek, The New Twilight Zone, Season 1, Episode 13, starring Richard Mulligan and William Atherton, written by Rockney S. O'Bannon, based on a teleplay by Rod Serling. First aired December 20th, 1985. The story is basically the same, but instead of Corwin going around the neighborhood giving out presents, everyone in the neighborhood is coming to him, and the whole building is having a Christmas party supplied by the magic bag that in the 1980s version is a black trash bag, which is kind of funny. I kind of like it. Mr. Dundee, on his way home from the store, sees all the commotion and finds Corwin giving out gifts. He calls the police, thinking Corwin has been stealing from the store. When asked to produce receipts for the items, the bag produces receipts for all the items. At the end of the night, Corwin talks with Dundee on the steps of his building and gives him the gift that he had lost for his wife, and another gift just for him. Corwin goes back upstairs to his apartment but finds his Santa beard isn't fake anymore. It's real. And his suit is a real Santa suit. And he has become Santa Claus and disappears up the chimney to find a sleigh, presumably, and heads to the North Pole, presumably. If you haven't seen the 85 version, you can usually find it on YouTube in its entirety. Sadly, I don't know of anywhere that streams the new Twilight Zone. I thought Paramount Plus would, but they don't. The DVD set is not too expensive. I found it for as cheap as 30 before, but I usually see it around the $50 price range. It's totally worth owning, I think, especially if you haven't seen it before. There's a lot of great episodes. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely not original Twilight Zone, and there are some really, really bad episodes. But after seeing episodes multiple times, it's kind of grown on me. It's, it's 80s-ness uh, is a lot of fun for me, and I've kind of grown fond of it.
Anyway, back to 85, Night of the Meek. As I said a couple times before, it starts off very much the same way. In a bar, kids are peeking in the bar window. Corwin turns to leave because he has no more money to buy drinks. And suddenly, magically, appears in his pocket a dollar bill. And then another dollar bill. But instead of going back to get another drink, he takes it and gives it to the kids who are peeking in the window. The magic has already begun. The bartender sees what Corrin did when he gave those kids the money, and he, he kind of smiles. In the original 1960s Night of the Meek, the bartender is a jerky middle-aged man who doesn't really care. But the bartender in the 1985 version is this young kid, presumably like a college student maybe. And when he tells Corrin he can't give him any, any more drinks because the boss says cash only, he says it sternly, but he says it like someone who's like, it's not my rules, it's the boss's rules. He likes Corwin, but he can't be floating him drinks anymore. He even effectually calls him Mr. C. There's another person in the bar as well, and he says Corwin should go outside and give the kids a few minutes because, you know, he's, he's repping Santa in the suit. I like these more empathetic characters. A lot of times, side characters in TV shows from the 60s are one-dimensional, leaning heavily on one characteristic. And I get it. You got 25 minutes to tell the story. You can't develop everyone. Uh, this is why we get an abundance of characters sometimes, like the shrewd wife, which you see several times in the original Twilight Zone. They can't say much, but you also want them to stand out a bit, so you make them gruff or disinterested. Sharp contrast to your main character. I don't want to just say that the 1985 characters were more believable, because... I like the bartender in the original. I sometimes really like those sharp, contrasted characters, but it's nice sometimes to not just have good people and bad people. But, you know, the people at the bar in the 1985 version all seem really sad, but they don't seem like bad people. They're just down on their luck or doing their job or just having a drink. It's these more empathetic characters that lead to a great interaction with Corwin. Why is it kids like that have to go without Santa? Pardon? The two kids out there. No Santa Claus for them tonight. Not in this neighborhood. Oh, you got the suit on, mister. Why don't you go out and give them a couple minutes? Because whatever they ask for, they won't be getting. I would simply be a very cruel joke. These people live in the neighborhood, too, and they know how hard it is. After Corwin leaves the bar, he sees a woman carrying groceries and says, Merry Christmas, Mrs. Stoner. And she looks up, dejected, and replies, Merry Christmas. Life is hard in this neighborhood. And I bring this up because here lies a slight deviation in the two stories. The original Night of the Meek speaks more broadly to the lack of Christmas spirit and those struggling to make ends meet. 
but in the 1985 version, they have chosen to focus on the immediate, the poor children and the struggling people of the neighborhood, compared to those who can afford to shop at Mr. Dundee's apartment store. Both Santas get fired, one for being loaded and the other for being wasted, two different slang words for being drunk from two different decades. Gotta love it. The original Corwin is complained about to Mr. Dundee by a woman who witnessed Corwin toppling over from his Santa throne, and she's very concerned that her son, Percival Smithers, might have been traumatized by this experience. As Dundee fires Corwin, we get a beautiful Christmas Serling monologue. I would read it here, but it really needs to be experienced coming from Art Carney. You know another reason why I drink, Mr. Dundee? So that when I walk down the tenement, I can really think it's the North Pole and the children are elves and that I'm really Santa Claus, bringing them a bag of wondrous gifts for all of them. I just wish, Mr. Dundee, on one Christmas, only one, that I could see some of the hopeless ones and the dreamless ones. Just on one Christmas, I'd like to see the meek inherit the earth. The Twilight Zone producer, Buck Houghton, is quoted in The Twilight Zone Companion that Rod created this Christmas episode Quote, just because he wanted to see Art Carney play Santa Claus. Art Carney is an amazing actor who had an amazing career. He is probably best known for playing Ed Norton on The Honeymooners. You sit down, honey, and I'll have your dinner on the table right away. All right. <laughs> Norton, uh, don't you have to go upstairs and have supper? I already had. Well, aren't you gonna be a little uncomfortable sitting here watching Alice and I eat? Oh, thank you, Ralph. You put it that way, huh? I'll be glad to say. Ah, right, now, I'll have a little order of spaghetti and meatballs, light on a marinara, heavy on a shoot, one with a feather in it, hold the meal. <laughs> I thought you already ate. Look, let's face it, Ralph. Dizzy Dean warms up in the bullpen before the game, but he still pitches. <laughs> The Honeymooners is a gold standard in television and as American as apple pie. But there is so much more to Carney's career that I plan to do a whole episode on him and Night of the Meek next holiday season. Eighty-five Corwin gives a speech as well after... Mr. Dundee witnesses Corwin falling over drunk. But it's short and sweet and gives us the more narrow focus of the 85 episode. Uh, that the kids in the department store won't be disappointed, even by a drunk Santa, because their parents already have wonderful gifts for them under beautiful Christmas trees. It's the people in the neighborhood who need Santa Claus. 85 Santa is played by Richard Mulligan, 
And every time I see him, this theme song runs through my head. Empty Nest was a spin-off of Golden Girls, and in fact, they lived right next door. He was also a part of a different hit show that was earlier than Empty Nest in the late 70s, early 80s, called Soap, which was a comedic take on a soap opera. It's actually pretty funny. He also appears in an episode of Little House on the Prairie that scared the hell out of me as a child, but that's like every third episode of Little House, so that's not very descriptive. Uh, it's the episode Soldier's Return, Season 2, Episode 21, 1976, and was about a man, played by Mulligan, who comes home after being in the Army, but has become addicted to morphine. And he has this, like, addiction-induced dream where he's... He, like, uncovers a fallen soldier, but the fallen soldier is actually him, and his face is all green and dying, and then the distorted, like, crazy little housey music comes on. They gave me nightmares. I might not even be describing the episode right. I didn't, like, go back and look. I'm just doing this from my memory of watching reruns of Little House with my grandma. Anyways, Mulligan's performance as Santa is played differently than Carney's. Carney is driven and philosophical and desperate, and Mulligan's Santa is serious, but whimsical and kind of defeated. Though by the end, both Corwins have defeated their desperation or defeatedness, and are now hopeful and jolly and ready to be the new Santa Claus. There is an excitement and silliness to 85 Santa that I just love. When original Santa discovers the magic Santa garbage sack, uh, there was a sound of jingle bells playing, and the same thing happens in the 85 version. But here's where the episodes diverge a bit. Original Santa takes to the streets, and the mission where ironically hanging on the wall is Love Thy Neighbor, considering the huffy and puffy Sister Florence, who is super upset that her fancy service is being disrupted. 85 Santa takes to the streets at first to give the children presents who had sung Christmas carols to him at his window, but then he sets up shop in his apartment building, and the people of the neighborhood start coming to him. And apparently, like, bikes were the thing to ask for because everyone seems to be riding a bike when Mr. Dundee shows up in the neighborhood. Original Santa is arrested and accused of stealing all the gifts. Mr. Dundee shows up, but the bag starts giving out trash again. And a cat. It's funny that there was a cat right before the bag became magic in the alley. And a cat again, as the bag changed again. Is this cat the catalyst of the magic? <laughs> Dad joke. Or is it Rod Serling in disguise moving about the story? All I know for sure is that 
that noise, that meow that the cat made is definitely not a cat. It is a person off stage making cat noises. Sounds more like a dying cat. No magic cats in 85, but Mr. Dundee does discover Corwin's Christmas party on the way home from work and calls the police. He calls the police on a 1980s cell phone about the size of a child's head. The police want to take Corwin in, but the bag begins to produce the necessary receipts, and the party continues. The 85 version also fixes a major problem with the original version. Okay, well, maybe not a major problem, or even a minor one, but in the original Twilight Zone, Santa gives one kid a bat, and then he gives another kid a baseball glove. And I'm like, doesn't that other kid need a glove too? In the 1985 version, a kid gets a bat and a glove, and the glove's even left-handed because Santa knows. Or at least the black, hefty garbage bag knows. Problem fixed. It's like when Google made a commercial where adult Kevin from Home Alone, played by Macaulay Culkin, finally eats that dang mac and cheese before the endings are compared. I'll play Kate and I's conversation about the episode. I make a comment at one point about Zach Morris is trash. And this refers to a YouTube channel that goes through all of the Saved by the Bell episodes and explains how terrible of a human being the main character, Zach Morris, is. It's hilarious. And I sometimes refer to things that are trash as Zach Morris, just in case you wanted to know why I said that. I have a problem, I know. Also, the segment was recorded as if we were going to use it for our podcast, and we are going to use it. So it's going to be in two podcasts. Ooh. Without further ado, and with this joint effort between the Sandbox and OPS, my conversation with my youngest child, 14-year-old Kate. So today, we are going to talk about... The Twilight Zone. That, that was... Do-do-do-do. That, that does not sound... Never mind. It's, it's part of it. Yeah, but it doesn't really sound like it. We're going to talk about the Twilight Zone in a joint venture with a very, very, very popular podcast. A called, very, very popular mm-hmm, podcast. Called The Twilight Zone Sandbox. Yes. Is it very, very popular? Very popular. The host is pure genius <laughs> and very good looking. Mm, I beg to differ. Now this <laughs> this, seg- <laughs> this segment of the podcast will be uh, on our podcast show. It will also be on my Twilight Zone podcast. Very, very popular. Very, very popular. How many people have watched it, Dad? No, I, well, let's not talk about numbers. <laughs> How many the, people the have watched it, The quality is Dad? really good. I don't know. It's, it's been overall approaching 200 listens, so that's not really? bad. Really? Mm-hmm. But that's all together, so. Oh, okay. Anyway, we're going to discuss two Twilight Zone episodes. An original Twilight Zone yeah. and one from the 80s show. TZ eighty five. They re- 
they like rebooted or something? Yes, they reboot. Oh, that's a reboot? Yes. Oh, that's lame. <laughs> Reboots so, are stupid. Original Twilight Zone came out in 1959, and that came out in 1985. 59. Was the guy still alive? No, he wasn't, sadly. Oh, that's why they're... Reboot's not as good. Wow, we're already getting into it. As you uh, hardcore Twilight Zone fans will already hear uh, 14-year-old Kate sad about the reboot. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I liked the episode. It just didn't feel as Twilight Zone-y. Well, let's get into it. We're going to... We've, I sat down with Kate and we watched Night of the Meek, the original, black and white, yep. Twilight Zone original, mm-hmm. and then we watched... The remake of Night of the Meek, 1985, the new Twilight Zone. So, first impressions after watching the first one. The first one. It's old. The guy's creepy. But it was a good Who's episode. creepy? The guy who, it was like, he, the guy who's drunk. He's so, like Santa? The, the main, he's not Santa. What's his original name? Corwin. Corwin? That's a pretty dope name. Um, <laughs> it's his last name, I think. That, okay, he was he was just a little creepy, in my opinion. It was so nice that he was so happy to give all the gifts. That was so sweet. He was just a little creepy, and his beard was really gross. Yes, I think you used the word, you said, why is he so crusty? <laughs> that's what Alyssa said. Oh, that's what Alyssa said? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yes, you made reference to his, his fake beard. You did not care much for that. It's so gross. It's like cotton candy that's been... <laughs> thrown in dirt <laughs> squished a bunch of times it was so gross uh yes I, I'm assuming that they didn't have the fancy beards like we do now back then it but it was weird look, it didn't it looked it literally looked like cotton candy I was really gross and stepped on a bunch of times so in your words give a quick rundown of the episode like if you can remember, it was a couple days ago when we watched. Um, there's this drunk guy in a in a bar, and he's dressed as Santa Claus, and he's like this shops Santa, and he's sad because there's these kids who don't get presents because they're in a poor neighborhood, and he goes to his job and he's drunk, and then he gets fired, and he's just like, these people. I, I, the kids in the neighborhoods deserve a Santa and they don't get one and these kids are spoiled and stuff like that. And so he goes out and he finds this bag in an alley and it's full of presents, but it's whatever you desire. So like he, people ask him for stuff and then it gives it to them. And then he, the police, a police officer comes and is like, where'd you get all this stuff? And he's just like, I don't know, it just comes out of the bag. And then they try to arrest him, but they can't. Because when someone else tries to take something out of the bag, there's trash in it and a cat. And then he... he there's oh, lots of Zach Morris in there. What's Zach Morris? Trash. Oh. <laughs> Wait, Sorry. what? YouTube reference. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> okay. And he, at the end of the thing, he finds a sled or a sleigh and reindeer. And this elf shows up and, they're like, and the elf's like... We've been waiting for you, Santa. And then he goes into the sky. Marvelous. Yep. Very good overview. I think that was a pretty good overview. That's a very good overview. (laughs) Would you say that the Twilight Zone 85 uh, followed basically the same pattern? I think it did. 
I, yeah, I think it added a few things that made it made more, make more sense, which was really helpful. Sure, sure. So let's talk about that. You you made a comment. You kind of made a comment earlier, even now. But when we were watching it, you said something about you really liked the eighty-five version, mm-hmm. but it just. But even though you liked it, it didn't feel like Twilight it's, Zone. It, okay, if this this episode was just like a short or like a movie, like a really short movie, the newer one would be a better version of a movie. Okay. But it's not the same as a Twilight Zone episode because you don't have the guy talking in the background and like doing all these like, ooh, he's in the Twilight Zone. Uh, and also it's not in black and white, so it just doesn't feel the same. So Rod Serling, he's the guy who is the, the narrator. The guy who's the narrator. Yep, and wrote most of the original episodes. Mm-hmm. You would say he's a very important part of what makes a Twilight Zone Twilight Zone. Yeah, because you need a narrator. And he kind of just, when the the drunk guy is, is sitting on, he's sitting on like a curb in the original one, and then he comes out, like the narrator guy came out in like, like right above, a, like uh, below a street lamp. Oh, and he yeah. starts talking, and that makes it feel like, ooh, what's going to happen? But the other one didn't have that. And it only it didn't even say anything about the Twilight Zone. It just We get one of the intro. one of the better Rod Serling introductions here cuz he's not he doesn't always appear. Sure. But he most definitely was on set mm-hmm. because of how the camera panned, yeah. and it was cool like he's just lurking in the yeah. shadows. It's creepy. Yes. Also, the new intro for the newer Twilight Zone was stupid. That (laughs) was absolutely stupid. There was just like these creepy like pictures showing up. It was just yeah, it was bad. It was it was too long and it was stupid. Too long and stupid. You heard it here first. Yep. What did you really like about the '85 version? Um, the '85 version. Well, you made a comment when we were watching it. He's more jolly in that one, mm-hmm. I think. He seems less drunk. He seems more stable in the new one. He's less intoxicated. So you get to see his, like, excitement. And then they and they have, like, a room in the newer one. And you get to see all these people, like, having all their gifts and stuff. And in the old one, they showed that. But they, they kind of had everyone in the street the old mm-hmm, one, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't really like one room and they were all like, oh, let's go see Santa, and they were all excited. And, um, yeah, I like that part. Also, it just kind of flowed better. They kind of, they they made it make more sense, and they made the store, the store owner, more prominent, which was interesting, because he's kind of like the antagonist, in a way. Oh, yes. Yeah, the, in, the, in the new one. Yeah. Yeah. And they show, like, He's like, where did my wife's coat go? And stuff like that. And then the, and then Santa gives it to him. It's, it was very nice. Which one would you say you like better? That's that's the thing. You can't really like. I can't. You have to give me like a category. For like Twilight Zone, the first one is more Twilight Zone. For like cleaner, the the newer one is cleaner. But both, you enjoy the story of both. Sure. Do you think that the Santa Claus movies ripped this, ripped off their idea from this? No. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's kind of like it in a way, but the Santa Claus is is one in its own. It is. It really is. Push Santa off a roof. Yep. Get to be Santa. Yep. 
if you had to rate the, let's say, uh, the original Twilight Zone episode, mm -hmm. if you had to give it a rating, here is your rating system. Okay. A, B, C, or D. What would you give the original episode? A B. A B? Mm-hmm. What would you give the new one? A B plus. All right. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Ah, uh, I've trained her well. Listening to what her, she says about what makes a Twilight Zone episode brings tears to my eyes. Uh, I did not coerce her in any way. I was very surprised when she started saying it. I'm like, yes, that is what makes good Twilight Zone. <laughs> but it looks like she likes the 85 version better uh, than the original in some ways. And, and I understand what she's saying. The flow is better, and I like some of the details better. But the drama of the original, it just can't be matched. Both episodes end with Corwin wishing he could do this every year. In the original, he's having a sweet conversation with one of the older men from the mission, who is now calling him Santa. In the 85 version, he's talking to Mr. Dundee, who is played by William Atherton. You might remember him as Walter Peck, the overzealous EPA agent in Ghostbusters. I really like this interaction because of how Mulligan is playing it. These gifts didn't come from your store. We both know that. Then where? Never question miracles. That's the cult. That's my wife's cult. And something for you. Maybe metal. Roger Maris. Are these autographs real? I bet they are. These are all the 61 Yankees. Whimsical and serious all at the same time. I just love when he says, I bet they are. Both find themselves at the end becoming Santa. Though I like the idea of Corwin's beard becoming real and his suit becoming a fancy Santa suit in the 85 version. Not better, I just I just like it. I don't know if one's better than the other, I'm just glad I have both of them. There are a lot of things the 85 version does better, but it could only do those things better because it was built upon Serling's great original script. Playing in Serling's sandbox, if you will. Both actors bring out different sides of the character and tell slightly different stories. I think the 85 version lacks, besides Rod himself, narration, in, and it was confined by the time, since it shares the episode with another vignette, like a lot of the Twilight Zone 85s. But the original Night of the Meek was hampered by having to use videotape. Although if you had to choose an episode as a taped episode, one like Night of the Meek would be a good call because it doesn't require for a whole lot of different things from a production standpoint. But at the same time, it limits your use of effects or your movement. Who knows what we would have gotten if this episode was produced on film like the other Twilight Zone. I like both episodes, but I agree with Kate. 
The original 1959 episode is Twilight Zone through and through, and it can't be denied. But the 1985 version is still good and might even tell a more complete story. At least the flow is better. It's definitely an example that not all remakes are bad and that not all 1985 Twilight Zones are bad either. Thanks for joining me for Serling Sandbox Remakes on the Twilight Zone Sandbox podcast. If you like the podcast, leave a five-star review or send me a message by going to twilightzonesandbox.com and going to the podcast page and using the message button and tell me what you think. Or you could comment on this episode or any episode. You could also send me an email to jason.twilightzonesandbox.com uh, with a written message, or you could send me an audio clip. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Zone Sandbox, and join in the Twilight Zone fun with the Twilight Zone Twitter community. I'd also like to thank my daughter Kate for helping me out with this episode. And I also like to mention my son-in-law, Evan Matson, for creating the Twilight Zone Sandbox theme song. See you in the Twilight Zone, everybody. A word to the wise to all the children of the 20th century. Whether their concern be pediatrics or geriatrics. Whether they crawl on hands and knees and wear diapers or walk with a cane and comb their beards. There's a wondrous magic to Christmas and there's a special power reserved for little people. In short, there's nothing mightier than the meek. <laughs>